0: We think the Bible is the, most, is the most powerful tool, the most powerful gift one of that God has given us to not only learn about him, but to walk the good life, to, to know and to be a Christ follower. And uh, over the next eight, ten weeks, however many it allows that we need, uh, we're going to be going through a, a book that has only four chapters. It's known as one of the epistles. Uh, it's a letter from one of the apostles to the churches, and it's the book of Philippians. And uh, the book of Philippians has a lot of those verses that you may have memorized, verses you see underneath Tim Tebow's little eyes when he used to play football, verses that are everywhere that you know well. And today, in Philippians 1 6, there will be one of those verses that you've heard before often. But it is transformational, um, this book. Um, and I hope that you find some time in your own time to pick it up and to read the book of Philippians over the next. You got ten weeks to do it. I think you can read four chapters in ten weeks. Maybe find a commentary, dive into it. God never ceases to amaze me. The more you get to know Scripture, uh, the more you realize that you just you don't know. You know because He's so big, He's so grand, and God's Word is, is so is so good. Uh, we will see common themes throughout this these next ten weeks of joy, humility, uh, self sacrifice. Uh, what it means to, 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 to be in Christian living, to live in unity uh, with, with one another. I love Brandon Nutter, when he was up here uh, last, year, last month on First Wednesday, said it's kind of the missionary's manual, and I love that about this book. As you read more and more into it, it is, it is God's word to us, uh, to encourage us through, through, through the Apostle Paul to cheer us on in our walk in our walk with Christ. You'll see these huge theological themes uh, throughout the book, such as Christology, the person, the nature, uh, the, the role of Christ in our lives. You'll see soteriology, the, the, the whole thing of salvation and what it means uh, to, to have salvation from our God. And you hear these huge words sometimes, uh, but the main goal of them is not to say a big word and to be like, man, he knows something, because I don't know much. Um, but it, it's truly to reveal to us who God is, And it not only reveals who God is to us, it shows us uh, who we are. And so over these next eight or ten weeks, I think we'll have a better understanding of who our God is through this great book, the book of Philippians. As I shared, the author was Paul. Uh, Paul, I love Paul. If you were to have a quiz and somebody said, who wrote this New Testament book? There's a really good chance if you say Paul, you'll maybe be right. So he wrote a whole bunch of the New Testament. Um, He had four prison letters uh, Colossians, Ephesians, Philemon, and then many would say this was his last um, uh, prison letter when he was on house arrest or in prison behind bars, uh, Philippians in AD 60 to AD 62, somewhere in there. But Paul, uh, you know his story. He was a guy that was persecuting the church. He, he thought this whole Jesus thing, this whole church thing, a group of people standing up praising God was phoning, was, was not uh, what God said it was. And he actually was trying to persecute to the point of even killing Christians. And then in Acts 9, bam, Jesus showed up in his life. He had an encounter with Jesus, and his life was never the same. And he became an ambassador for the gospel, and he would go to churches and encourage and and preach. And and because of that, he was persecuted. And if you go read 2 Corinthians 11, uh, you will get a laundry list of all the things that Paul dealt with. And it wasn't pretty. I mean, he was shipwrecked and beaten and, and, I mean, you name it. Paul dealt with it all because he knew that he knew that he knew that the gospel message of Jesus Christ was real. And Paul, in this letter, you're going to see uh, that be spewed out on paper as he wrote this great letter to, to the church in Philippi. I want to share just a little backstory of how this church came about. Every church has a starting point. Obviously, our Jesus Christ, he's, our, he's, he's the foundation, he's the rock, he's the founder of the local church. Uh, but this particular church in Acts 16, uh, we know that Paul received a vision. If you know the story, Paul received a vision. He, he had a guy come to him in his dream and say, you need to come to Macedonia, right? And then Paul did at once. It, it says in Scripture, I love in Scripture when, when, when God calls people to do something, they're not like, hmm, let me think about it. No, it's at once. They they step into what he's called them to do. So on his way to Macedonia, he finds himself in Philippi, right? And there he is in Philippi, and he runs into a lady named a lady named Lydia. And Lydia there was, uh, was a textile dealer. She knew some things about God, uh, but she was not in relationship with God. She was not in relationship with Jesus. Well, Paul began to, 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 to build a relationship with her. They studied God's Word together. She came to Christ. She came to Christ, and then she was baptized. And this little church, a little, a little plant came out of the ground, and this church sprouted uh, in, in, in Acts 16. We know later that, that Paul and, and Silas, they found themselves preaching the gospel and the people did not like it uh, to a point where there was this uh, crazy lady, a fortune-telling woman that was demon-possessed and she's walking around saying, these guys will not stop talking about Jesus and she kept saying it over and over and over again to a point where it's like a fly. Anybody have those little gnats in your house that will not get away from your ear? Why do they hang out by your ear? I don't know, but that's what they do and they drive you nuts. Well, Paul got to the point where he was just He was driven nuts. And I love what it says about it. It says, finally, Paul became so annoyed at this lady that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, bam, the spirit left this lady. Paul and Silas, uh, the owners of this fortune-telling woman, they didn't like that because this lady was making them some dough, you know? And they, they didn't like what was going on. And Paul and Silas end up finding themselves in prison, You know the story. Uh, They're singing to God. They're praying to God, singing hymns of praise. A giant earthquake comes, and it busts up the prison. The gates open, and they they are free. And in this moment, the jailer, the jailer of the prison, is overwhelmed by the Spirit of God, and he comes to faith in Christ. His whole family comes to faith in Christ, and they are baptized in that moment. And this church began, and it took off. And so Paul finds himself some some ten years later, almost a decade later, uh, in the same spot, only it's a different prison, and he's looking back at the Church of Philippi and he writes them, he writes them a letter, and the letter starts in Philippians one, and that's where we're going to start today as Paul is sharing with this group of people, uh, this little church is growing and growing and growing, and Paul has some incredible encouragement for them as they as they are a growing church. So let's read it. We're just gonna go through one, uh, chapter 1, verse 1 through 11, all right? Paul and Timothy, servants of, Jesus, of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, he's doing a greeting here, together with all the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and, and the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers, uh, for all of you, I always pray with joy. Philippians is known as the book of of the book of joy. Uh, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who, there's the verse you probably all know, that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have put in my heart and whether I am in chains, which that's what I'm in now as I'm writing you this letter, I'm, I'm, I'm in prison, um, or defending or confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me, verse 8. God can testify how long for all of you, uh, how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer. Uh, God is good, and then he shares this prayer with them, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ uh, to the glory and praise of God. It is pretty obvious in the first 11 verses that Paul loves this church. He loves the church of Philippi. He says, "When when I pray for you and I think of you often, he said, I pray with joy for you. I thank God above for you as you all are, are, are living out what it means to be the church. He says, I pray that your love would abound more and more. I pray that you would grow in knowledge and that you would grow in depth. I pray as this church continues to move on that you would grow in your, uh, your ability to discern well. Why? Because there's a lot of false teaching. And there's a lot of stuff going on. And, and in those moments, you're going to need to discern Well, I think in 2018, we as Christ followers need to be a people that pause and discern well with the filter of God's Word and the filter of other Christ followers speaking into situations. But Paul loved this church. He says, I thank you for your partnership in the gospel. You know what it tells me? It's a different way of saying what we talked about a few weeks ago. I thank you that you've moved well beyond of just being a consumer Christian, of one that lines up in pews and hears a message and heads out and just does your week with God not even being a part of it. Man, you've moved beyond that. You all are the core. You all are the inside. You know, As far as being Christ followers, you want it to be all about Jesus. Thank you for your partnership in the gospel. They were a serving church. They knew what it meant to throw the towel over their shoulder and truly to lay their life down for one another. And if I was to sum up uh, Philippians 1, 1 through 11, Um, in in some layman terms, I would say it's all about spiritual growth. It's about God taking a group of people, spiritual growth from one place and doing a work in their life and moving them somewhere else. It's all about, hey, you know what? Our God in heaven, the the thing that he started in you, uh, this whole relationship that's all founded on him in the first place, he's a good God and he will carry it to completion in your life and in this church's life until the day of Christ Jesus. That was Paul's prayer, that God would would continue to do it. He's not just praying that that would happen. He's already thanking God in this prayer because he knows that it will happen. He has a a faith that's unwavering. He knows that he knows that he knows that our God in heaven is good, and all of his promises before he even gets it out is yes in Christ Jesus. So Paul says, man, I, I thank God in advance for all the good things that are going to take place in this church's life because our God is good. Paul's praying this prayer to his Father in heaven for this church. I shared earlier, but have any of you ever found that the more the longer you go in your Christian walk, the more you begin to understand Scripture and and understand the things of God and walking with Him every single day, just how huge God is and how big, you know, God is. And and it sounds almost weird to say, but the more you get to study and know and discern and grow in knowledge and depth, you realize, I'm not even close, right? We live in the camp of I'm not there yet. I've got a long way to go, and our God in heaven knows that, and he says, you know what? This thing I started, in every single one of your lives, I'm gonna carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So in this room today, we have people all over the spectrum. We have people in this room that are infants in Christ. You may have been a Christian for 24 hours maybe for the last 15 minutes you saw that baptism and it changed your life you may have been following with Jesus for some 70 years I have no idea but if Philippians 1 6 is true we all have a promise whether you're a a baby Christian or you've been following him for 70 years he still has more to do in your life that none of us have arrived no matter how many hours we've logged in a pew none of us have arrived right we've got more to do he's got more to reveal to us more to show us He's got more that he wants to call us to, to reveal to us on a regular basis. Philippians 1.6 is an incredible promise that our God is at, our God is at work. And this process that we talk about often in our great alliance movement is this process of sanctification, right? It's the process of God making us set apart, making us holy, uh, making us uh, into the image of Jesus Christ. Uh, it's one of our tenets of our faith, Christ our Savior, Christ our Sanctifier, Christ our Healer, Christ our... Two people knew it. Great. Our coming King is coming soon. He's coming back for his church. Uh, I knew you'd get that, by the way. Thanks. Because he's ordained. That's why he got that. Christ our Sanctifier. So it's not just justification, which is awesome, you know, by the grace of Jesus, what he did for us on the cross, that we could be in right standing, that our sins could be justified before a holy God. But it's the process of sanctification as well, that God has every single person in this room on a journey. And that journey is for him to, to make you more in his, his image. And at times, that process can be ugly. <laughs> process, that process can be messy. At times, kind of, if we were like a bull with horns, we, we kind of push back on it at times. But our God in heaven, he's pursuing us. And he wants to carry it to completion in our lives. He wants to take you from where you are to where he wants you to be. And Romans 5.8, I love this in, in scripture because so often we think, man, I've blown it so many times. There is no way that a holy God would want to have a relationship with me. But Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this that while we were still sinners, while you were still in your heap of sin, your sin debt's so big, you have no business being in right standing with God. He says, no, 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 I loved you even before that, that I sent my son Jesus to die on the cross. Christ died for for us. He loves us. He accepts us right where we are. And if you didn't hear anything but that today, that's the good news of the gospel, that he loves us right where we are. So our God never stops at just, making us right with God, but he continues this process in us of growing us and maturing us to come to complete maturity in Christ. We, look at that, we looked at that a month or so ago, that one day our Savior is going to return for his church, and one day we will stand before him. You know, Ephesians 2.10 says about you uh, and about me, that we are his handiwork. Some of your Bibles, I think that's what the NIV says, but some of yours may say uh, that you're his masterpiece. That you are God's masterpiece. is that crazy to think about? The creator of the universe looks at you and says, you are my masterpiece. And we look at ourselves and we're like, I'm so far from a masterpiece, right? But then in James, it it talks about again in James 1.18 that out of all of creation, you know who his most prized possession is? It's you. We as, 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 as humans Created in his image or his most prized possession. So let me tell you, no matter where you are on the process today, you may feel like you've blown it and you're like, you're clear back here and the process starts up here, right? You may feel like I'm I'm doing well, but you're just coasting. You may feel like you're an infant in your faith. Here's what I do know is a great promise from our God. That he who started a good work in you, he's going to carry it to completion in Christ Jesus. But in this process, there's there's God's part, and there's our part. So often we think, well, uh, I came to Christ. I did what the pastor told me to do. I said the prayer. I show up to church. I give a little bit. I I serve here and there. But there's a process that God does in our life. He extends us salvation. He's the one that, that begins to sanctify us. But at the same time, we have stuff to do. And Paul talks about that at the end in his prayer that this church would grow in these areas, and I want to share these with you. So he's not just thanking God, man, thank you for what you've done, but God, I pray over this body that they would begin to live out of these things, and I want to share them with you. There's God's part. He who began this good work. How will God often continue that good work? Through his word. He longs to speak to you through his word. Uh, I found out that you can't just put it under your pillow and sleep on it, and all of a sudden, it comes into your body, and you understand it. You have to pick it up. You have to read it. And you have to do your best to digest it and ask questions and and, and, and all kinds of stuff to understand God's word. But he wants to grow you through his word. So if you're not reading it, you're probably not growing spiritually. Another way that he wants to do it is through his Holy Spirit. He sent us a helper, right, Uh, to encourage us, to guide us, to to help us uh, navigate through this life, to empower us, to fill us with the Holy Spirit. He sent us a helper. He didn't say, go change the world and good luck. But he said, I'm going to give you a helper and I'm going to fill you with the Holy Spirit to do it. And then God, I found that he often will use circumstances. uh, We don't have things that go on in our life, events that take place that just go wasted. He will use all of them as teachable moments. You look at Jesus and how he did it throughout the New Testament. At any given moment, in any environment, he was ready to to teach and make some of them applicable to these people's lives so that they knew what it meant to understand the kingdom of God. So there's God's part. He is behind the scenes. He is at the forefront. He's doing it all. And he's at work in our life. But also there's a part for us to play. There's a part for us to say, hey, I've received Jesus in my life. I, I know that I have a part to play in this. In Philippians 1, 9 through 11, let me read it. This is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless to the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of our God. He prayed that they would grow in their love. Well, how do you do that? Well, if you read through Scripture, it talks a lot about what love looks like and defines what love is. You go to 1 Corinthians 13. How how can we abound more and more in our love? Well, let's live out what love means. Well, love, it says in the Bible that love is patient. Well, I've already blown it on the very first one. Anybody else at times blown it with love? Uh, Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love's not full of pride. Love doesn't have a little piece of paper that when they're not looking and they screw up, you write it down so in a couple of weeks you can remind them of when they screwed up. They, you know, it doesn't keep any record of wrongs. Love doesn't. Doesn't boast. Love does not envy. All these things of love. So when Paul's calling this church to abound more and more in your love, that's huge. That's big. But we've got a helper to help us do that through the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit. And at the end of this passage, I hope when you read Scripture, you ask yourself questions because there's, there's a lot just in this prayer. To ask yourself, am I growing in my love towards other people and towards God? To look at it and say, am I growing in knowledge? Am I growing in depth uh, in, God's, in God's Word? Am I picking it up? Am I reading it? Am I digesting it? Is it changing and transforming me? Am I growing in my... And my discernment, my ability on any given moment and any given decision and choice that I may make to know God's best, not based on our own little finite minds, but based on what Scripture says. And we're going to mess it up a lot, and God will extend you grace, and you'll get back up and do it again. But are you growing in your discernment? Do you feel like your choices that you're making and, and the things that you find yourself doing that you are growing in your discernment? Proverbs twenty seven, seventeen says, as iron sharpens iron so one person sharpens another. So is there people around you or staff maybe at your work or whatever that can speak into your life and, and encourage you so that you can grow in your walk? Proverbs 15, says, With many counselors, our plans will succeed. There's our part, and then there's God's part. We're called to act, to trust and obey and, and what he said in his word. You know what I found? probably more for me than anyone else I even know, that there's moments in my life where I'm like, I can handle this, God. I don't need your input, right? And I will find myself in the ugliest of spots, um, find myself in, and maybe in the consequence of my decision or decisions. And there's moments in life where our God in heaven has to turn up the heat a little bit, if you will, so that I can have a corrective moment so that I can turn and run from that, or I can turn my eyes towards him and keep my eyes fixed on him. And I found more times than not, I don't know if you've ever found this symbolic, there's not one of these in scripture, but I'm kind of making it up, that our God gets his heavenly paddle out. Anybody ever had the heavenly paddle come your way? Um, And he he will use it at times, and it always leaves a mark. But the reason why God will do that is because he loves us way too stinking much to leave us where we are. I think our God in heaven would rather use, as you read through scripture and see some of the ways that he chooses to, dis, he, I think he chooses to speak through a still small voice, through a whisper, through the wind like Elijah, you know, you've heard that story. But at times he has other little tools that he can use. He has a big great fish. For those of us that don't wanna follow him, we can hop inside of that. Jonah found that out. Uh, he has wildernesses that we can walk through. There's so many things that when people were disobedient to what God called them to do, be, that they found themselves in a a rough spot, and the heavenly paddle was needed in order to correct it. And why does he do that? Because he loves us so, so much. He loves us so much. Some of you in here, that's your testimony. You went through a season or a whole half of life just going against the things of God, and you found yourself in the, the most awful spot. And it just was consequence after consequence. It was mess after mess. It was encounter after encounter and none of them were good. And then finally you came to Jesus and you realized, well, wow, it's, not, it's not just a list of rules. It's not about all the things I can't do, but you found true freedom because you were obedient to what he called you to do. The heavenly paddle comes out once in a while and he, he will use it if need be. And I pray that, honestly, he continues to in all of our lives. Because that will grow us and shape us into be the Christ followers he's called us to be. The last one I want to read in verse 11. He ends this section filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and to the praise of God. Do You know when he carries it to completion in my life, in your life, in this church's life, the whole point of all of that is not to be your ticket into heaven, which is a great thing, but it is to bring him glory and to bring him honor. This whole process, this whole story, this whole book, everything that we do in this church is all to bring glory and honor to Christ. So at the end of the day, every single day, Paul can look us in the eyes and say, hey, Christ follower, be confident. Be confident of this. Anybody ever have moments in your life where you're just not confident? Um, Be confident of this, that he who began this good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ." Jesus our Lord. I don't know where, we have people all over the spectrum today. From those that have been following Jesus for hours, 24 hours, days and weeks, um, here's my encouragement for you. Keep on. Keep, keep learning, keep growing, keep praying, keep, keep reading this. Our God will meet you where you are. Don't let your lack of knowing or your lack of whatever, uh, that's what the enemy loves to do. Your lack, so you just forget about it because you're way off the boat. No, our God wants to speak to you For those in here that would raise their hand and cheer about Philippians 1, 6, because you're saying, I've been following him for decade after decade after decade. I I believe it to be true because he's been carrying it to completion in my own life. I'm growing in love. I'm growing in discernment. I'm growing in knowledge. Here's the warning with that. Uh, Be careful not to coast because we can get to a place where we just go through the motions spiritually and and just do the, the whole Christian thing, and, and, and we just find ourselves uh, maybe uh, knowing a little bit w- about God, but we're not walking with God. And then there's another group of people in here today that uh, this is the most important one for me to share, is that you may be at a place and you're feeling like, I'm at the end of my rope, and this whole this whole God thing, if he's really going to carry it to completion, uh, he, better, he better hurry up. And I hope today is a day that, symbolically, you can see your God in heaven grabbing you by the shoulders, looking you in the eye with the most loving eyes you've ever seen in your life, and he's saying, I'm not finished with you yet. I hope the one in here that needs to hear that hears that, that your God in heaven is holding you by the shoulders, looking you in the eye, and he's saying, I got more. I'm not done with you. I've got more that I want you to know, to see, to do, to be a part of. I want to I be glorified through your through your life. Uh, Everybody on their journey has those moments that are uh, moments that you are so thankful for and you're thankful that God orchestrated behind the scenes to make happen. And I want to share one of those with you today. About four years ago, uh, we had an organization stop by the former church I was at called Be the Match. Be the Match is a bone marrow transplant organization. It's a registry that you can be a part of. So Natalie and I went to that. We had a youngster at the church pass away um, that was connected to that church um, because, of, because of leukemia and bone cancer. And uh, this family brought it uh, to the body. So we went in and did our, uh, did our cotton swab. They took all of our stuff thinking, we'll never get a call in a million years, right? Um, probably about nine months later, um, that next spring, uh, sure enough, we got a call. Got an email first and then a call and said, I think Kedrick is a match uh, for this person, but we don't know. Um, so we need you to go to Cincinnati Jewish Hospital. I forget the name of it in Cincinnati, and, and you need to go through these tests to see if you are. So I went through all the tests and found out that, that I was a perfect match uh, for this lady. And as we got closer, about a week out, you go to Miami Valley Hospital, and they give you Phil filgrastom shots. I wasn't actually going to have to do the bone marrow transplant. It was going to be through cells um, and give my blood. So I went and got the filgrastom shots, which stimulates the cell growth, And it literally stimulates your back to a place where you're like, my back needs some help because it hurts so bad it tightens you up. Um, And then finally, Nat and I went down to, um, I forget the the blood hospital in Cincinnati, and for four hours was on the machine um, in Cincinnati. Literally right after that moment, a courier came and picked up the blood and flew the blood. to. All we knew it was as a female in the United States. Um, And I'm here to tell you like the The stuff that I had to go through, the inconvenience of going to some appointments, the inconvenience of Phil Grassham shots, the inconvenience of giving blood, none of it was an inconvenience compared to what this lady was going through. I want you to watch this uh, video about this incredible organization. I want to share the letter when I first found out who she was to you, and we'll try not to bawl like a little girl. All right. picture up on the screen. Soon after, found out she was a mother of four and a lawyer um, in New Jersey, and her husband was teaching at one of the prestigious colleges out in New Jersey, and she wrote this letter to me, um, and I'm going to read it to you. It says, Dear Donor, uh, it's taken me longer than I wanted to write this note to you. I thought about it a while and started many times. I think what's gotten in the way was Uh, the belief that a written thank you for saving my life will be seen so deficient. I don't want to think I could ever write a note that could uh, convey the gratitude I have for the gift you have given me. She wrote in a later letter, she had a 10 or 15, 20% chance of living through this. And then she said, because while the thank you is for saving my life, it's also a thank you uh, for all the wonderful things, big and small, that have come along with it. For example, because of you, I saw my four sons each turn another year older and have been there to help them navigate life the best I can. I celebrated 20 years of marriage and and look forward to many more. I'm helping to teach my 16-year-old how to drive, and she put yikes beside that. She said, I'm around to help my parents as they are uh, failing in their health in their later years. And I got to see my youngest son graduate from preschool, um, be able to walk with him. To kindergarten on his first day in September. You can imagine what it was like when I first read it. I find joy in spending time with family and friends. I wake up every day grateful, she said. This is some gift. So thank you for being a donor. Thank you for your kindness, your generosity, for the pain of inconvenience you endured on my behalf, which is a joke because my inconvenience was nothing. For your flexibility, I've told you stood ready, willing, and able despite uh, uncertain transplant schedules. I say a small prayer of thanks to you every day and look for opportunities to pay your kindness forward. You should know you have also been an example to my sons. My oldest has already devoted, or donated blood twice since turning before sixteen. He's pledged to join the registry uh, when he turns eighteen. I suspect his brothers will do the same, as they have seen difference in such kindness makes. Uh, me and your bone mar are doing pretty well. I'm uh, feeling pretty good and getting stronger every day. And if the circumstances permit and you're able, I'd love to opportunity to meet you and your family someday. In the meantime, uh, please share this note with a, with a sincere and grateful heart. Please accept this note. Uh, I share all that because this next Friday night um, we're having a fall fest. That'll yeah, be fun. All that stuff. But we're also going to have a Be the Match table uh, at that event to where you, if you're 18 to 44, we don't care, the doctors will figure out if you're in good health, can be a part of the registry. Literally, my name's standing on the registry forever, because if I can be a part of helping one more person, I would do it in a heartbeat. First service, uh, uh, a lady came forward and shared, man, because of a, a, a match registry, My son-in-law dealt with it for five years. He was in the hospital almost straight for five years. And he got the the bone marrow transplant. And because of that, it gave him like four or five months more to live. And in those four or five months, he accepted Jesus Christ. That, that's pretty powerful stuff. So I encourage you this coming Friday night, if you want to show up and then run for the hills, come to that table and be a part of the registry next Friday night. Because our God in heaven, whether it be through medicine or be through a miraculous healing, is in the business of healing people. And sometimes he uses medicine. Sometimes the ultimate healing uh, is he takes us home to be with him. And often we think, well, that's not healing at all. And I say it's the ultimate healing. It's the greatest healing because we're with with Christ. So as we wrap up today, we're going to celebrate with someone that is saying, Jesus is Lord in my life, and I want to proclaim it to the world. And I pray that you remember as we start singing this song, that he who began this good work, you may feel like your walk with Christ is as stale as a bag of chips that sat open all week long. I have no idea, but our God in heaven wants to reignite it in your life. He longs for that. So let's worship our God and celebrate in baptism.